and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. I hope you enjoyed the new theme music there. Today I talked to Stephanie Charbonneau, who is a school teacher, mother of two, and a resident of Wheatley, Ontario. She's also my younger sister. It's not often that you pick up a copy of the Globe and Mail and see your sister and her family on the front page, but it's also not every day that a town somewhere in Ontario almost blows up. Around dinner time on August the 26th, two buildings in Wheatley's downtown area, literally at the one red light in the center of town, blew up. The source, apparently, is a gas leak, likely connected to capped natural gas wells from nearly a century ago, but that's still not certain after almost four months of careful investigation. In the meantime, dozens of residents have been uprooted and relocated, and they don't have any hard answers as to when they can go home. One of them is my sister. A personal story is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. It started as something kind of funny. In June, people in the downtown area of Wheatley had to be evacuated when area businesses detected a whiff of hydrogen sulfide gas. Workers tried to track down the source, but were unsuccessful, and since the smell went away, residents were allowed to go back home. That process was repeated again in July when a CAS monitor detected another leak of that hydrogen sulfide gas. This time, the hazmat crews discovered that the source of the gas was, and I quote, deep within the earth, a thermogenic gas response. In between those two events, I enjoyed a day at my sister's house just outside the downtown core of Wheatley. It was my niece Elaine's second birthday, and as we played in the backyard, you could see that corner of Talbot Street East and Elm Street. About six weeks after those birthday frivolities, everything changed. On August 26, emergency services in Chatham-Kent went again through the motions of evacuating people in the area of Talbot and Elm. This had almost become routine for the residents, but this day would be anything but routine. Ninety minutes after the monitoring device started setting off alarms, at least two buildings were destroyed, several more were damaged, and then the people living in the area around the core had to be evacuated, except this time, the residents have not been able to return home. These residents are caught in the middle of a dangerous situation. The government can't let them go home again until they find the source of the explosion. They can only go so fast to find that problem because they are afraid that in that lack of knowledge, they might accidentally spark another explosion. Meanwhile, the people affected, they just want to know when they might be able to go home again. It's rare that you have a personal connection to a story like this, so I invited Stephanie to pop onto Zoom with me and talk about Wheatley's problems on this week's Guelph Politicast. So Stephanie and I talk about what happened on the day of, what happened during the weeks leading up to August 26, and the concerning history of the Wheatley area that she didn't know about. We will also talk about the information void, how she and her family are coping with the lack of progress, and whether the disaster in Wheatley has gotten enough attention from the rest of the province. And finally, we will discuss the political reaction to the disaster, how residents are being proactive to stay involved, and when Stephanie and her neighbors might finally be able to go home. So, I caught up with Stephanie Charbonneau earlier this week via Zoom. Okay. Okay. You I know, just had him. Yeah. I just did a thing. What did you do? Okay, I fixed it. Never mind. We got it. We're good. 
<laughs> I'm leaving all of this in. Um, <laughs> Good. No, I, no well, it's just, I, I don't usually, I usually start these things in a very formal way with like, um, hi, hi, city councilor. Thanks for joining me today, which seems silly when the guest is your sister. So true enough. That would be awkward. So let's just get into it. All right. Uh, uh, why don't we start with what happened on August the 26th? I mean, from, <laughs> I mean, from your point of view, like as someone who experienced what happened on August 26th. Uh, well, from our point of view, so we were sitting in our house. We had actually just gone back to school shopping with Mabel that day. Um, so we had gotten home and we had picked up Mabel or Elaine from daycare and Elaine was a monster that night. She was just miserable. So we fed them an early dinner and we put Elaine to bed and that was at like 530. That was super early for her. Um, she was already two at that time, but she was, she was rotten and we just weren't dealing with it. Terrible too. So yeah, she defines that term. Um, <laughs> But uh, so we were just sitting in the living room and Mabel was playing with her toys and stuff. And I was on one end of the couch just scrolling my phone and Jeremy's on the other doing, I don't know, like, and then we just heard this horrible sound that is totally indescribable. Like, I don't think I can come up with words to describe what it sounded like. And like, it's nothing like what you see in the movies, like to live mm. through a real explosion. Like it was but we knew it was very bad. And I can actually remember thinking the words, that's not good. <laughs> and so I threw my phone and just stood up and I ran upstairs. My initial thought was that our house was caving in right? because like, of the way that the house shook. I thought for sure our house was caving in. So I took off up the stairs. And as I was running up the stairs, I shouted to Jeremy, get Mabel, get Mabel, <laughs> running up the stairs. And my only thought was to get to Elaine. And I had a picture in my head of like just crumbling roof and tar and stuff like, and her in the middle of this destructive scene. But she wasn't, She, but she was standing screaming because she was terrified. And I remember yeah. noticing as I went running that there was a whole bunch of stuff that was knocked over. Um, but, and in my head, I think that whole thing lasted like five minutes in my head. It was total slow motion, but in reality it was seconds because mm -hmm. I grabbed Elaine and I went running back downstairs. And by the time I got downstairs, Jeremy was outside and in our neighbor's driveway. And I went outside and went that direction. Our neighbor was pulling into her driveway and we looked, we all knew, right, which way to look. And we looked in the direction of the poke and all you could see was this massive, like dust cloud um, billowing up into the air. And it, it lasted, it stayed there for a couple minutes anyways. And then we all just kind of, I don't know, didn't know what to do. <laughs> At that point, we just kind of clustered together with our neighbors and Jeremy and Bugsy went down to the corner to see what was going on. And we just kind of started to take in our surroundings, I guess. Bugsy is your next door neighbor for people who don't know. And Jeremy is your husband, my brother-in-law yeah. for people who don't know. So uh, from what I understand, from what I've read in media reports, um, the area that was affected, let's say the area that was affected instead of the area that blew up, but <laughs> they, they had sort of like evacuated people because they had mm -hmm. been detecting gas that afternoon. So mm -hmm. is it, I guess, is this such a normal occurrence in Wheatley, like people being evacuated? It had been, yeah, it was our third time. 
So, you know, the first time in June, we were all frantic. And then the second time happened in July and everybody was like, what the heck? Like, again? And then, um, so then this third time when it had started, news hadn't even reached us yet. They had just just started evacuating. And of course, in the immediate area was where they had started. And our side of the street hadn't been um, actually evacuated from the gas leak at that point Mm. at all. Um, So it's understandable why we hadn't heard. But normally social media pops up pretty quickly in regards to, hey, they're evacuating again because of the gas leak. Like the first time news spread like wildfire. And Mm -hmm. the second time it was even quicker. Like I was at work in June and I heard about it really fast. So um, normally we had heard something, but yeah, like people had, after the first two times, people were like, yeah, okay. Yeah, we got to go. Right. (laughs) Like it was, you know, like kind of like, well, here we go again type thing. Like it, at that point, I don't think it was anyone a surprise to anyone, but I don't think anybody necessarily knew how dangerous it was because nothing that severe had happened. The first time someone had gotten really ill from inhaling the gas. So people were like, oh yeah, this is bad. But like, um, I don't think anybody really, like given that it had happened and everybody came back and it happened and everybody came back, we're all like, geez Louise, like just mm. more annoyed than anything else. Right. But at least, at least they had detected it and it, um, and that way, that's the reason why nobody got critically, I shouldn't say critically, because someone did break a lot of bones, but um, mm. nobody died, right? Like there was no no deaths from this. Because in all, when you look at the place, like in all, and you look at those pictures, like you kind of wonder how did, how did nobody die? <laughs> like it mm-hmm. looks like somebody should have died. <laughs> right. There were 20 minor injuries or 20 mm-hmm. people with minor injuries. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, to, to look at the picture, it's, you know, two buildings that were there uh, yeah. were just piles of lumber. Yeah. And it, you, you could see where this happened from your backyard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to paint a picture of like how close to home this was yeah. is you yeah. go out your back door and you can see downtown Wheatley. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So we were like, we were prime, prime to see all of the, the emergency services, like everybody showing up. They used our street um, for the first, um, for the first ambulance to get out of there with the, the most critically injured, the municipal worker who is the most critically injured, they used our street to get him out of there. So it was within minutes that that ambulance was booting it down our street to get like around the chaos and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To go back even further beyond, you know, the first signs, the first warning signs in this summer, um, I'm correct in remembering that a lot of these gas, the, the gas leaks are linked to old wellheads that go back to like almost 100 years. Yeah, they think so. So interestingly enough, there was a media release this week that kind of made it sound like it wasn't connected to the wells. Mm. And then they like release something the next day, like, no, no, that doesn't mean it's not the wells. They're like, get it together, CK. But um, they, uh, yeah, so it like the, the idea is that it, it could only be two different, like one of two different things, like a natural fissure in the earth or whatever, or a really old gas well, like um, dug in the, the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. CK is Chatham Kent for people yeah. who are keeping up with the nomenclature. Uh, 
I guess were like any disclosures made when you moved in or are actually more than that. Like a lot of your neighbors are, let's say on the older side who probably have a lot of institutional knowledge of, of the town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were they aware of like what, what's kind of going on underneath their feet? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There is so much like, <laughs> you sit down with them and you get like the, you get the old timey time stories. They're more than happy to share those stories with you. So yeah, like a lot of them, a lot of them knew about the explosion that happened in the 1930s, right before this even happened. They can, you know, that one of the wells they call the old dairy well, because they remember the dairy farm that used to be there. Right. Like there's, mm-hmm. you know, there are these people whose, you know, whose stories and whose, whose like ancestors or whatever, lived and worked in Wheatley and passed on the stories of what what's there. And, and so like a lot of people were, you know, there's like Wheatley Facebook pages and everything, right. That people jump on and share all these stories. And if you go back far enough, you can read all kinds of information from people. What happened at the dairy well? And, uh, nothing happened. They just, the dairy, the dairy well is one of the possible, it's one of the apex points. Okay. They just <laughs> refer to it as the old dairy well to identify it as different from the other well. Because that's how locally, like people are colloquially, they call it the old dairy well. It's one of those things yeah. that like pe- people still call. I mean, it's not the, tr- it hasn't been the trash for years, but you know, the building that used to house the trash, people still that's call right. it the trash here in Guelph because yes. it's, it's a frame of reference that people who've yes. been here a while get. Yeah. Our house is the old man's. Like nobody knows it as anything differently. Like everybody just refers to it that way. <laughs> and dummy, dummy me, like when they first said the old dairy well, I'm like, wait a second, they think this is coming from a well that had milk in it? Like, I was like, totally confused. Like, even though I live in Wheatley, I was like, that makes no sense to me. <laughs> Jeremy's like, no, no, <laughs> that's not what they mean. <laughs> Wheatley was built on a rich vein of underground milk. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we've talked about August 26th, we talked about before you know what kind of happened in the immediate aftermath like for you and actually for your neighbors too you know? yeah so all of us were kind of i'll be honest for us it kind of turned into a little bit of a party <laughs> we were all like out in the street like we had our you know we had our adult beverages with us and um kind of walking up and down and checking in on everybody and I had my girls in a little wagon I was pulling behind me as I checked on the neighbors and um as they kind of locked down the scene, like our street became like the, the place that people came to check out what was going on. So the police locked down our street, but people were still parking at the end and then walking up to see what was happening. And um, so we were just interacting with a lot of people. It just really became a little bit of a party scene. And uh, <laughs> I know it's so absurd to think about, but like, that's what happened. Like I think about it now, I'm like, wow, we were really dumb. Like if someone <laughs> came up to us and they were just like, Hey, like, can't you smell the gas? Like, it, it smells really bad, guys. You need to leave. And we're like, no, oh, we're fine. Like, mm-hmm. it's fine. And he's like, well, I'm leaving. And he took off. And we're all just, like, standing there. Like, our neighbor's garage, like, everything had fallen off the walls. And we were just, like, looking at it and being like, whoa. We're, like, observing the backyards of, like, all the debris in the backyards. I think we were all a little bit in shock. <laughs> like, I think we were acting out of our brains mm-hmm. not quite working properly. Right. Um, I caught what this guy comes wandering up the street and he comes up to me and he's like, Hey, are you Becky? And I'm like, no, but Becky's right there. <laughs> so he goes over to Becky and he's like, Hey, like I'm the contractor. You just hired to do your bathroom. <laughs> and Becky's like, 
like, oh, come on in. Let's go take a look. So they go in and they're like, like, honestly, it was so, it was so ridiculous. And then all of a sudden this police officer starts making his way up the street and he's like, Hey, you got to go. And like, yeah. So starting at the house that was closest and that, which was like Pete and Margaret and then our next neighbors, George and Jerry, then Kay and then us. And then Becky and Bugsy. And so make their way along the street, telling everybody. And he's like standing at the door until you're gone. So like we got wind of it when he was like two houses down. And I was like, oh, we got to go pack some stuff. And I was really mad because we had a go bag ready for like the two months in the summer. And we had just put it away. (laughs) We had been prepped and ready. And then we had just put it away. So I ran into packs and stuff. And then Jeremy was looking for the cat. The cat had taken off. So he was out, like he was scared. So he'd run away. So Joe was looking for the cat. The police officer was like standing at our door, like it's time to go. Like you're going to have to leave the cat. Um, Dexter showed up just in time. Jeremy picked him up, threw him in the house and shut the door. And, uh, and then we left and we drove away. And as soon as we pulled away, we were like, crap. Like we forgot Mabel's pediature. We forgot her medicine. We forgot, right? Like all kinds of stuff. So we went straight to the pharmacy, got some stuff from the pharmacy and then drove out to my in-laws, Jeremy's parents. And we stayed there. And the next day we got on the phone with everybody. Cause at the time the message was just leave. We'll figure all this out tomorrow. And so we were calling around and we weren't really getting any answers the next day. Our insurance company was like, yes, you're covered, which is good. But outside of that, we weren't getting any answers. And after like a couple of days, it became clear that it was going to be a while. Mm-hmm. And so we went back and asked if he could get our cat. So they let us in to get our cat. Um, and then after that, we... We're just kind of waiting at my in-laws place. And eventually we made a decision to find some place um, closer to Wheatley for taking the girls to daycare and school. And so we, we rented an Airbnb in Wheatley, a cottage down by the lake, far away from everything that was going on. Um, and, and we rented it for a month and hoping to hear something so at the time we rented it for a month, assuming that after that end of the month, we'd be able to get back into our house. And that just has not been the end result. And our, all of our neighbors were kind of in the same boat of finding temporary lodging and then like with friends and family and then realizing, okay, we're going to have to do something different. So. so how many times have you moved now? Three, three, three. times. So out of my house to my in-laws, from my in-laws to the Airbnb and the Airbnb to this rental. Right. And I mean, are you in touch with your neighbors? Like how are they faring? Yeah. So we keep a regular um, Facebook group where we chat with each other on the regular. Um, Most of our neighbors have found something more long-term, but a lot of them are actually in like winterized cottages. Mm-hmm. right that that wouldn't have necessarily rentals over the winter mm-hmm. um like maybe the occasional weekend or something and so like these airbnb style things so a lot of them are facing the problem that come april they gotta leave right so but at the time they told us six months and that was in october and so everybody thought hey that's easy like we'll just go find these cottages fully furnished right we don't have to worry about buying anything um and and then six months are over and we'll be able to go back to our homes. And, and it's very clear that that's really not the case anymore. 
are you getting like regular updates? <laughs> That's a joke. Okay. Um, they send an email every day, but I would say two out of three says no new messages for subscribers today. So you get an update that says there's no update once a Correct. day. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I went to, we went, we had a town hall meeting and um, you know me, I'm not a quiet individual. That's and true. I, I stood up can, and I can confirm. Can confirm. Um, I said, I said to like the CEO of Chatham Kent, the engineer, like I said, like we had our counselors there. I said to everybody, I'm like, listen, no new messages is unacceptable. I said, there is a message every day for you to tell us. I said, even if no work is happening at the site, your message to us is no work happened today. And here's why, right? Saying there's no new message is totally unacceptable, right? You cannot tell us that there's nothing to say. All that's telling me is that you're hiding things. You're intentionally not telling us stuff. And like, and at the time too, the CEO had at that point released two um, media releases, basically scolding the Wheatley public for spreading rumors. Mm. Like basically saying, stop spreading rumors. You don't know what you're talking about. And so I said to him that day, I'm like, listen, well-informed people, they don't need to spread rumors. Yeah. So if you don't want rumors out and about, you need to make sure that we know what's going on. Then we'll talk about what's really going on and we won't talk about rumors. So like speculating is what happens when you just don't know. And the speculations turn into rumors, but it seems like the message I, at first, I was like, oh yeah, they're doing this. I really, it really, it was like almost like a temporary, like, let's show them we heard them. And then they went back to normal. I do sometimes dip into sort of the news just because of the personal interest, right? Me. For me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> And it, it seems like just, you know, reading Chatham Kent, uh, the newspaper, uh, CBC Windsor, it, it does seem like the fact that they are sending out updates every day that they don't have any update. I mean, that's kind of in keeping with what's in the news with because, yeah. it, it, you know, just doing a Google search this week, there was some recent updates about how they're um, getting ready to they, they think they've narrowed it down what the root of the gas issue is and but i mean th this is also not not to undermine your point about you know speculation growing in a vacuum of information because that is absolutely 100 mm. true but this is like careful work on their end as well like they mm -hmm. you know you you accidentally scrape a metal pipe against cement and you know you could have you know more incidents as it were yes yeah they've definitely tried to drive home the the on what is the word they use how it's insecure like the site itself is not secure like they right. like safety is they, they always say and everything safety is our top priority and i don't think anybody's nobody's disagreeing with that <laughs> like nobody's gonna stand there and say no like i want you to risk life and limb to solve this problem like nobody's saying that so they we understand that it's a pretty delicate a very delicate situation it's just you know that that like tell tell us tell us what's going on tell us what caused your delays or tell us you know like as you go along like you know to say hey we drilled a hole today <laughs> and then all of a sudden we were like really worried because we could smell something and so we backed away yeah i'm not going to fight you on that <laughs> like, you know what i mean like totally <laughs> 
like, yeah, like there's going to be stuff because, because they're trying to maintain the safest possible environment. Like, hello, we're the ones that live through the explosion. Like, We're not going to stand here and tell you to like get in there and live through one yourselves. Like, no, like we don't want it to happen again. And we want to get back in our homes as soon as possible, but tell us what's happening because at the end of the day, what we know is the only thing we have control over right now. Is jurisdiction an issue because you know you're dealing with chatham kent the the government there like the local government um but a lot of this falls under provincial jurisdiction like natural gas and you know public safety and infrastructure and things i mean is is that friction no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) yeah for real it was so like where i say that on october 6th they told us it would take six months to get into our homes that was because october 6th was just after they had reached an agreement with the province around who was going to pay for this thing so the initial five weeks that we were out of our home was because they were negotiating with the province and they didn't tell us squat about that we didn't know that was going on Mm-hmm. So, like, we thought the whole time that work was happening, but it wasn't. They were just talking to the province about who's going to take charge, who was going to be in control of the contractors, and who was going to pay. That was it for five weeks while we were trying to figure out our lives. Right. Your MPP for Chatham Kent Leamington is Rick Nichols, who was mm-hmm. making news that week, not for <laughs> being on the ball with this but <laughs> for refusing to get his vaccines and being forced out of caucus yeah. has he been visible through all of this not really no <laughs> okay no what well, do you do you think that those negotiations for like six weeks negotiations would have been helped if the mpp for your area was sort of still in the club as it were <laughs> allegedly he has a lot of pull allegedly right um so maybe but i mean how how much pull does he have throwing the government under the bus because he thinks vaccines are a false flag or whatever i know i know you're right i don't know i mean at the end of the day i mean he is our representative so you would think there would be something i could say that he's done Mm. like you i don't even i don't he wasn't even at our our town hall meeting like, huh? But Dave Eck was. Okay, who is that? He's the MP for the region. Okay. And he, this week he, he asked a question about Wheatley in question period, which okay. is cool. But, you know, because I, you know, it is who I am, I have to be critical of our public servants. <laughs> he also had a two bedroom apartment listed for rent in Wheatley while there was many a family <laughs> looking for somewhere to live. So, you know, but he managed to get reelected. So such is life, I guess. Well, I mean, it's also one of those things where, I mean, the federal government can offer support or funding or, or whatever. But I mean, this is the, the, the struggle is between the two most local levels. And, you know. Yeah. So I think that I think the, the issue with the federal government is because they provided funding for old wells, um, right. decommissioning old wells out west. Right. So um, I think the issue comes in, where are the feds to come in and help Ontarians? Because the wells in Ontario are actually older than the ones out west. Mm-hmm. So. so I guess um, 
are you feeling like you, I mean, I, I think this was kind of covered in the globe article, but are you feeling <laughs> that uh, it's getting like the requisite political attention? Like you mentioned in the globe article, if this was like downtown Toronto, um, you know, this would be front page news mm-hmm. wherever, but because it would also probably have a resolution by now. Right. But could it, you imagine like, like young street being shut down like this? Could you like, could you imagine like it would it would never happen. Like it would, it wouldn't. And, and no, like, no, I don't think so. I have colleagues that I work with that every now and then I, I say something like, remember I work in Windsor, like I work in Tecumseh. So I'm like 50 minutes from Wheatley where I work and I'll make a comment about, you know, my livelihood and my home or whatever. And I'll almost always gets one of my own colleagues say, you're still not in your house. <laughs> like, like for real. And like we had, um, because I'm so well connected, I set C2V up with Becky and Bugsy when they went into their home for their one hour visit this week. And they filmed that. And um, after that news report came out on the evening news on CTV Windsor, like they got so many messages from people that were like, I had no idea what you guys were going through. Right. Like people are clueless and like, not that I need people to be like, Hey, poor you, poor you. But I would love it if people were aware of what's going on. So they can be like, Hey, like province, like what is happening? Like, can we actually solve this problem? Because this is horrible. Like the people who suffered floods in BC were back in their homes before us. <laughs> they were back in their homes the next week. And we're like sitting here, like, who knows when it's going to be? Like, who knows? Like, so these people were in mudslide conditions like total devastation and they made it back into their homes like come on (laughs) and and that's because all the the nation's cameras are pointed at uh, abbotsford or at least a great many of them right like it's the attention of public outcry over things is what makes government spur to action Right. So as long as nobody sees this as a big deal, as long as people are unaware of what Lowell Wheatley is going through, like the the government can drag its heels because they don't have anybody barking at them. What's am I remembering correctly? Uh, Doug Ford stopped by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and in one of his news conferences said, hashtag Wheatley Strong. <laughs> I do remember that, yeah. I think uh, hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but in all honesty, like you know, my personal political views because I'm a teacher set aside. Mm-hmm. He he actually has been quite supportive of helping Wheatley, and and my understanding is that he pops in. They have like weekly meetings with all the parties involved, and he occasionally pops into those meetings and reinforces to people to you know that a solution needs to be met sooner rather than later. So you know. As much as I can decry his work with public education, I can at least say in this regard, he's paying attention. It's one of those things where he's um, where, where he's kind of staying on top of it. He's not making sort of a, you know, there are times when our politicians are doing work when we're not looking. So right. that, that's what, this is one of those times. Right, right. And he's the reason that we got a, a ton of funding, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're getting a ton of funding from the province to help us through this whole thing. So, um, and there's more too, he said, is available if we need it. So, I mean, that's, again, like it, it's nice to know that something there is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, 
what does everybody need right now in terms i mean aside from a more steady stream of information you know what's what's kind of like needed so the big need right now i will say is getting access to our homes um to winterize them and to collect more belongings right like since we were told that we'd be out of our homes for six months at least um we nobody has had access to our homes Right. So we were told that we'd be gone for half a year and we were also told, but you can't get anything. Um, So the big the big chat around town right now is getting into our homes. They had made a plan. The plan got derailed. Like there's a it's been a huge mess. Um, But some people started accessing their homes within the last couple of weeks. And out of 74 homes, 30 people have been in their homes. uh, 16 more are going in this weekend, including us, mm. which I had to spend four hours on the phone on Friday fighting for, but I got an appointment. <laughs> um, but it's still going to leave 24 homes who have not had access yet and, um, and not likely to have access before Christmas. So starting Monday, they have demolition work going on. And once that begins, nobody is allowed in the evacuation zone for safety um, and so that leaves a whole lot of people who will not be able to go in and get anything prior to Christmas, which is why I spend a long time getting us that appointment. But at the same time, there's the whole winterizing thing. So we're going to be able to go into our home today to go and collect belongings. But my, my pipes are still full of water. Our rags are still full of water. Our air right. conditions are still in our windows, right? Like we... Um, we, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done to my house to prepare it to be vacant and, and not heated for winter. And we're not allowed to do any of that work. And a contractor provided by my, by my insurance is not allowed to come in today. Yeah. They said, we will schedule those at a later date. So that, who knows what's going to happen, right? Like, look at the date. It's December 5th. Like, and I know that this is, you know, hell's inferno down here in southwestern Ontario, but it still does get cold at some point. So yeah, it'll get cold at some point. Mm-hmm. So I did tell them when I was on the phone with them yesterday. I said, "Listen, if my pipes burst, I can tell you now. If my insurance is not going to be the ones to pay for it, the municipality will be. Right? I'm not like you're the ones that have messed this up from day one. So is Wheatley a ghost town right now? No, no, because it's just the main four corners that is closed down. And there's there's actually this really funny lady. She there's like a section that is within within the gates before the full closure takes effect. And she's like, she always says that I live in the gated community of Wheatley. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Um, but no, like there's all kinds of people that the difficulty is that Wheatley has very few storefronts anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. So people are not out and about as much. And if they are, it's because they're heading to Leamington or to Tilbury to do their shopping or to get pizza or whatever. Um, But there's still lots of people that are there. And, you know, what that's one of the concerns that people brought up is about like, this is the end of Wheatley. And Mm. it's like, I don't, I don't think it is. There's a lot of people that are there and a lot of people that really love Wheatley, like us included, right? Like there's something about this weird little town that's just really a great place to live right there's a reason my husband and I drive an hour to work every day because we're committed to being in this place mm-hmm. so people are there they're just ready for our lives to get back to some something normal and again there's no 
deadline about when that takes effect? None. It's, it's a big question mark. It's a huge question mark. And, and like on top of all of this, right? Like this, this is this six month timeline that they gave us was to determine the source. Like mm-hmm. that six month timeline didn't include resolving the problem. Mm-hmm. It didn't include cleanup. And it didn't include repairs that are going to have to have to be done to our homes. Like this is like Jeremy and I are prepped for at least a year. Hmm. I think a lot about Elaine and Mabel and, you know, in their, (laughs) in their, in their, you know, in, in the years to come when they're grownups and they have children or grandchildren and they're talking about, you know, before we were five, we lived through a global <laughs> pandemic, a world economic collapse, and our town almost blew up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what's I, I, I joked about this with somebody the other day. It's like all they have left is like an alien invasion. That's, <laughs> that's the last. Touch wood. <laughs> that's the last thing on the bucket list that for them to yeah. check off. Yeah. My poor kiddos. They're pretty resilient little, little, little beings there. Yeah, they've, they've been through a lot. They really have. And, um, oh, I'm waking up Mabel here. She, like, (laughs) really is. Like, she's, you know, she seems to take a lot of things in stride, that girl, right? Like, she's, she's always been my little resilient one. But, you know, even Ellie, like, Ellie, it's funny the way that she has learned to process things like she's learning to put on a mask and like putting on a mask to her is like a game. And I, like, I think of things like, I think of how weird is it going to be for her when people stop wearing masks? Mm. Cause this is all she's known. And like, and like with this like explosion, you know, when we go past our house, like she calls it the big boom house now. (laughs) Like that's what she calls it. Big boom house. Yep. Big boom house, honey. Like she, like, that's how she processes it. She doesn't really know what she means by that, but like that's, she knows that's our house still. And some days she just doesn't understand why we can't go that way. Like some days she'll, you know, she'll, we'll pass and she'll be like, no, no, this way. Don't walk this way. Right. Like, cause we turn away from the house and she'll say like that she doesn't want to go that way. She wants to go to our house. Right. So like, you know, it's interesting how she's processing all of this. Like, I don't know, like we're on some eternal vacation. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that she had nightmares for a while and those seem to be going away. That's good. I don't know. These kids, man. <laughs> I don't know. What kind of world did I bring children into, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe the worst is behind us. Oh, I hope so. But then stupid things happen. Like I got hit by a rock and now I have to replace the windshield on my car. <laughs> like, when is it going to end? <laughs> Town almost blew up stuff. <laughs> I know. Perspective. Perspective. <laughs> I know. I mean, you just go to like Jiffy Lube or whatever and Apple Auto Glass. They're, that's what they're there for. It's, I, I guarantee you, your windshield will be fixed before Wheatley is. Well, you put a lot of credit onto me getting it done then. <laughs> oh, dear. I'll leave it until I, some police officer pulls me over. Oh, jeez. I won't. I won't. Chatham Kent OPP are on alert. I happen to know I have an audience there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, well, good. let's, well, let's wrap up our recording. To my house. 
<laughs> I don't really. But let's wrap up the recording. Oh, no. Okay. So, okay. Um, again, this is like, I do have a formal ending to these, but I mean, oh. you know, it's, it's not often you have like per- personal connections into stories. Yeah. So. I know. I mean, on behalf of the listeners, thanks for talking about it because oh, like no you problem. said, there's, it, it's, it's something I tell people like, Oh, my sister's town almost blew up. And people are like, wait, what? It's, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on obviously, but it's, it's, I just, I find it one of the weirdest freaking stories of this year. And it, it <laughs> And there's been a lot of stuff going on. I can tell you that the day that it happened, we're like watching this whole thing go on. And I'm like looking at um, paramedics wearing masks. And I was like, why are they wearing masks? Like for a hot minute, I totally forgot there was a pandemic. (laughs) Everything else ceased to happen. I'm like, like, I could not understand why these people were running around in masks because there was a huge freaking explosion. Like... That's all I could think about. So yeah, things are things are weird. That's for sure. Things are weird. We'll leave it there. <laughs> Thanks, Steph. <laughs> Solid ending. <laughs> and once again, that was Stephanie Charbonneau, my sister. As you heard, the Ministry of Northern Development, Mines, Natural Resources, and Forestry is currently exploring the cause of the explosion, and they will likely be the source of any update about what happened last summer and when the residents will be able to go home. There is a GoFundMe page raising money for the people affected, and you can find that at GoFundMe.com. If you're looking for more information, Matthew Trevithick, a reporter for 980 CFPL in London, had a pretty good TikTok about the issues this summer in Wheatley, and you can find that link in the show notes for this episode. And that is it for this episode of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you may certainly do that and get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. Makes a great Christmas present. <laughs> For all the latest local political news, check out GuelphPolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time. Uh